can be great in this world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you all for your patience in breaking protocol a little bit. But um, this morning, we want to go straight into the word. Um, God has something heavy for us today. And if you've been paying attention throughout the weekend, we have been building up and progressing in this theme called prevailing grace. And it's something that I don't want anyone to exclude themselves. All right? This is something that everyone should walk away with something. You know, if I can make a confession, um, these kind of conferences, they, 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 they terrify me sometimes. And, and, and the reason why is people go through great depths to great lengths to put packages like this together, bring men and women of God together from different uh, assemblies and different churches to try to uh, expose you to the power and the, and the, and the greatness of God. And, and oftentimes I, f- I fear that these conferences are worse than New Year's resolutions in that at least with the New Year's resolution, you might keep that gym membership till February. But when we leave this place, it's almost like the next day, what did they say again? And we don't want you to exclude yourself from this because prevailing grace is not just a thing. As our brother said, it's a lifestyle. It's a thing that we must tap into to see the power of God in our time today. Prevailing grace is not just something that we say, oh, it's a thing. It's something as significant as air. If God said, listen to me, if God said today, I'm going to cut off the oxygen to the earth, what will you do? Absolutely nothing. That is by grace. And that prevailing grace is something we must embrace as a lifestyle. If you were not here Friday, our pastor Emmanuel taught us about the fullness of grace revealed. That Jesus came and made his dwelling. The word dwelt among men. And the fullness of God's grace was seen in Jesus Christ. Saturday morning, my brother here, Mr. Michael Hammond, a.k.a. Abeku. (laughs) That one you can't leave out. He talked about growing in grace. How do we grow in grace? Grow in grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you're going to experience the fullness we talked about Friday, you can't experience that without growing in grace. We grow from children. When we were children, we were seen as immature, unlearned, people who just didn't know our way. And we grew into adults. And theoretically, we're supposed to be mature. Theoretically, we're supposed to know our way. How much more in Christ? Where Paul said that, even to the the people of Corinth, I I fear that I'm supposed to be giving you meat, but you guys are still drinking milk. This This is not milk that we are trying to drink. We're trying to feed you steak and potatoes to the glory of God. Mm. That's right. Oh, yeah. After this, there'll be some steak and potatoes. Mm -hmm. Saturday morning, we talked about the idea that there's more. If you think God has a limit, you are fooling yourself. 
The Bible says the things of God are unsearchable. If you think you've gotten to a place where you say, I figured God out, guess what? You've been played for a fool because God is unsearchable. There is always more. We want more. If you have reached a point in your life where you say, I've had enough, I'm sorry for you. I'm sorry for you. So Saturday night too, we also talked about some things with the 300 versus the 10,000 versus the 22,000, right? I want to talk a little bit more about that later today. So there's some things that because of time, we didn't get to really get into the depth of it. But um, in order to understand prevailing grace, we have to know the importance of those two words. So one thing that I've been sitting down, me, I'm an observing guy. Me, people think I don't talk. I talk. <laughs> but I observe more than I talk. But one thing I've understood or seen this weekend, we're talking about grace. And we haven't really defined grace. What is grace? And if you went to Sunday school in an African church, they'll tell you grace is the unmerited favor of God. <laughs> but what if I don't know what the word unmerited means? Right? What does that truly, truly mean? Our brother on Friday said that we are in the dispensation of grace. The time that we are in is under the grace of God. And I believe if we don't understand the dispensation we are in, we will not be able to live it out in the fullness. So what is grace? Besides being the unmerited favor of God, Listen to me very carefully. It is a favor or a gift or a goodness that God provides to us that is undeserved where God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That is grace. It is a goodness, a favor or a gift that God gives to us. We don't deserve it but he does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. It is God's inexhaustible supply. Underline and, and circle and highlight and asterisk the word inexhaustible. That's why there's always more, because it is inexhaustible. Some of us, we go to our accounts and we are counting pennies because that money will exhaust we look in the fridge, and we're like, man, this food is about to exhaust. But God's supply is inexhaustible. And guess what? We can't earn it. We can't buy it. We don't deserve it. Yet it keeps coming for those that so desire it. Amen? The word prevail means to prove more powerful than opposing forces. To be victorious. Another word we can think about is overcoming. You are all overcomers. Somebody say to, my, to yourself, I have prevailed today. Prevailing grace will work in me. So prevailing grace, if we put them together, is when God's grace is at work in you. To bring victory against all opposition. Against all obstacles. Against all obstacles. 
despite circumstances or situations. And all you and I have to do is simply understand it, embrace it, and step into it. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. Let's understand this grace. It's free. You didn't do anything to get it. You didn't do anything to deserve it. As a matter of fact, we should all be destined to the pit of hell. But because of that grace that God said, I will bestow upon you, my free grace, that is available to you and I. And I don't want to brag, but when it comes to free things, I'm an expert. Yes. My slogan is, if it's free, it's for me. The number one price that I search for in the stores is free 99. <laughs> it's free. And it's something that you just take it. If somebody said, there's free food, what would you do? It, the, the, it will be former free food because it's gone. <laughs> so that grace is available to us. But the thing we have to understand, grace was made available to us free of charge so that nobody here would take credit. That nobody here would say that I had a hand in helping God with his grace. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that he gave it to you that no one could boast to say that I am the one that did this. Romans 11:6, Paul tells us even better. And if grace, if, if by grace, then it's no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. The moment you inject yourself, grace becomes void. He wants you, God wants you to understand it is only of him and him alone. This term, we use it so loosely, though. It's a sacred word. But grace, we are. How are you? Oh, by grace. Oh, I'm under grace. And then we add uh, uh, vowels. Under grace, oh. <laughs> hmm. And then we, we use analogies. I'm swimming in grace. Most of y'all, half y'all can't swim anyway. <laughs> there you go. We, we had baptisms yesterday, and some the way people were afraid of the water, I said, wow, you don't know anything about swimming in grace. But the, the word is used loosely, kind of like love. You know, the word love, God said that. I love the world so much, I would send my son to die. God demonstrated his love in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. No greater, man love, no greater love than this, that when a man lays his life for his brother. That's love. But we use it so lovely. Oh, my gosh, I love your shirt. Oh, my gosh, this is such a nice piano. I love, I love, I love. Let's not use these words so loosely. Grace is a reminder of God's goodness every day. If you wake up in the morning, it's not because you come from a pedigree 
of anything of, that's honorable. It's not because you are anybody important. It is by the grace of God. Because there are people who are healthy as can be that go to sleep one night and never wake up again. So if I'm awake and I'm alive and I'm standing on my two feet, it is by the grace of God. So today, we want to go through the topic. We've talked about a lot of stuff. And my brother, Pastor Kwame, said, we don't consult each other. We don't talk to each other. Hey, what are you talking about? I don't want, I don't want to step on your toes, you know. But God has used different avenues to open the eyes of his people. And today I want to talk about the topic, his prevailing grace is sufficient for you. Amen. Say to yourself, his prevailing grace is sufficient for me. Look to your left or to your right and say, his prevailing grace is sufficient for you. Let's pray. We are kept by the power of God. Kept by the power of God. Day by day. Come what may. Kept by the power of God. Day by day. Come what may kept by the power of God. You and I, you and I, we are kept by the power of God. We are kept by the power of God. Father, indeed, it is by your grace that we are even here. Where would we be without your grace? For the songwriter says we are kept by your power and your power alone. Father, for day by day, whatever comes our way, you continue to keep us and sustain us. Father, I pray that as your vessel, that you, O oh Lord, will fill me. Fill me and speak your mysteries and your oracles. That your people may be enlightened. That your people may walk away with understanding, with revelation and illumination of your word. Speak and have your way this day, O oh Lord. That we may see your glory. That we may be grateful and appreciative of your prevailing grace. And that you, O oh Lord, may launch us into the deep to see your glory and work to, your, to, to the honor of your name. We thank you, O oh Father, and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So I want to just ask for permission before I share this word. One of the things, if you know me, then you, we are cool. But if this is your first time of meeting me, 
I'm a very honest guy. I keep it very real. Right? There's a saying that the truth hurts. So I might offend you for a little bit. But there's also a biblical saying that the truth sets you free. We are here to liberate by the grace of God. We are here not to keep you bound and to keep you believing lies, but to be exposed to truth, to be exposed to the word of God. So if I have your permission to be, keep it real. Uh, thank you. That's the only permission I need. All right. So we, we, we are talking about this grace, this thing called grace, right? And, 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 and I believe that one of the things we cannot ignore are the oppositions of life, right? Oppositions of life are a given, right? I think that if it wasn't for opposition, we'd probably all be further in life than we'd want to be. Now, this could be satanic opposition. This could be human opposition, which at the end of the day has demonic roots anyway. Or it could be self-opposition, right? But there are things that stand in our way that make life difficult. And it reminds me of the whiny basketball team that would tell the coach, coach, we do a lot better and we'd score a lot more points if it wasn't for that other team in our way. Opposition, beloved, is a part of life. You will face it, you will overcome it, you will face it, you will overcome it. That's just the nature of sin that has plagued us over generations and generations. That original Adamic sin brought opposition against us. So then, if opposition is a given, what then do I do? Right? We want to pray against opposition. We want to eradicate opposition. And that's good and dandy, but the reality is opposition will always exist right. until Jesus says, it's time to go home. Right. So how do we deal with life knowing that opposition exists? And I want to go to a scripture that I believe many of us know, if not all of us. But um, Paul, Paul, at the end of Pastor Bernard's um, preaching, we learned that God told uh, 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 the, the disciples to set apart Paul because he has a great work in store for him. And so Paul had seen a lot of things. Paul had seen victories, defeats, shipwrecked, snake bitten. I mean, Paul had been through a lot. And we come to a time in his life in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And as you're, you're turning there, Paul sees and experiences an encounter that most normal people would never, ever see. And we want to take it from verse 7. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, At least I should be exalted, at least I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Paul was given a thorn in the flesh. That's what he tells us here in verse 7. In the Greek, the thorn is a splinter or an irritation. I don't know if anybody's ever worked with wood. When you've rubbed your hand against it and a piece of the wood goes into your finger, my goodness. Sometimes that's worse than death. <laughs> a thorn he was given. Now what I love about Paul, 
What I love about what Paul does here, he never says what the thorn is, right? He never says whether it's a sickness. He never says whether it's something, some, something that plagued his life. So that helps us to inject whatever our own thorns may be into this scripture. Because if Paul said that, oh, my thorn was diabetes, then everybody would say, well, as for me, that doesn't apply because I don't have diabetes, right? But he simply said, I had a thorn, something that plagued me, something that irritated me, something that was troubling enough for me to plead with God about that thing. In his scriptures, he talks about poor eyesight, so he, he had to write with big letters. So maybe it was his poor eyesight. You know, it, it, it didn't take him out of commission, but it was enough to be an irritant to him. If you had to ask me, I would say it was people. People, people, people can be irritating, or a group of people. You know, and, and, and a lot of people, despite Paul's conversion, people still saw him as that guy who killed Christians. So they held it against him over and over again. And he's like, but look, I've been to here and to here. I've been throughout all Asia Minor, you know, witnessing and, 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 and speaking of the salvation of God. Can't you see me as part of you? And they said, nope, you were still the guy killing Christians. So a lot of people think that the, the overwhelming pressure that came from that was his thorn. We never know because he doesn't tell us. That's the beauty of it. But the good news again is that you can put your own thorn there. I believe, no matter what, everybody here has a thorn. Everybody here has something they have not been able to shake. Since you became a Christian, since you became devout in your walk with God, you just can't shake it. God, please help me. This thing keeps coming over and over and over again. And the questions you ask is, what am I doing wrong? I look and I see people with this disease or people with this uh, addiction or people with this problem and it goes away like that, but why not me? Am I not spiritual enough? Am I not praying enough? Is the Holy Ghost not moving in me enough? And it begins to bring many questions within our hearts. And the thing is, you know it's a thorn because not only can you not get rid of it, but in this case, God isn't going to get rid of it for you either. What? God isn't going to get rid of it? He sought the Lord three times and nothing happened. What happened to asking you shall receive? <laughs> what happened to seeking you shall find? What happened to knock on the door and it shall be open unto you? This is a man that, if anybody should have his prayers answered, Paul should have his prayers answered. This was a giant in, this, in, the, in, in, the, in the New Testament history. Out of all the New Testament books, Paul wrote 13 of them. A learned man, powerful man. So he prayed, and God said, nope. I think one of the things we, as a people, have a hard time understanding is that God tells his children, no. Oh, yeah. Moses wanted to see the promised land. said, nope. I'll let you creep over this 
this ledge and see it, but no. And I think the time for me personally that I, I understood this was when I had children and I had to tell my children no to something that they desperately wanted and see the look of rejection on their eyes. But the beauty and the, the hard pill to swallow about the no is the no I tell my children is for their own good. And God tells us no for our own good. You see, one of the, the, the three things that God would tell you, he would say yes. Everybody loves a yes. God do this for me, yes. Yes, no, and wait. The waiting is hard, the no is hard. As for the no, I pray to God, I say, Lord, Father, please give me a helicopter that I may fly around and enjoy life. God said no. I said, why not? He said, because you have nowhere to park it. It is inconceivable that God would allow a thorn in your life and in my life to accomplish a purpose. You see, where I come from, where most of you probably come from, we are told that if you're a Christian, you shouldn't be sick. If you're a Christian, you shouldn't have problems. If you're a Christian, you should be floating on cloud nine, right? So if you start bringing problems to the church, you get labeled as unspiritual, sinful, that, oh, this person, I think they have some hidden sin somewhere, but they don't want to confess it. So maybe that's what is plaguing them. But there's another option. Maybe God himself gave you that thorn. Gave me that thorn. Gave Paul that thorn. So why did he have the thorn? He tells us in verse 7. He said that because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation. You have to understand the anointing that came upon Paul, right? In the first six verses of chapter 12, I encourage you to read it, either on your way back or when you get home. This tells us that Paul was carried up into the heavens, this is not, he didn't die and get lifted up. This is while he was within himself, that he was carried up into the third heavens. You see, you and I, when we fly, we go to the first heaven. That's the, that's the atmospheric uh, heaven. That's where we see birds fly and airplanes. The second heaven is what we call the stellar heaven. That's where stars and the sun and the moons exist. But this is the third heaven where the presence of God, the, the place where God dwelled, and Paul got to see it with his own eyes. My goodness, what a sight that must have been. All these descriptions we read in Revelation about the streets paved with gold and the angels worshiping 24-7. Paul got to see these with his own eyes. And these are things that he was exposed to that probably would have blown anybody's mind. So the encouragement about heaven is we know it's real because Paul was there. But one of the things that we understand is that God put a thorn in him to do something to him that 
If we don't take care, we all will fall victim to. He said that, keep me from exalting myself. If I, Bible says, no one can see the face of God and live. So the Bible says Paul was carried up into the third heaven, into the throne room of God. He saw some things and lived. Guess what? If Paul was here in 2018, this would be tweeted. This would be Instagrammed. This would be Facebooked, WhatsApped, and all other forms of media. Guess what I saw? I'm the man. Paul has gone to heaven. He will write a book and make some money off of it, and he would be that guy. He said that the thorn was given to me to keep me from exalting myself. You see, Paul, Paul, whether you know it or not, had a, a tendency towards pride. Paul got the big head every once in a while. So in Philippians 3, he would even boast. He said, check this out. You want to know about me? Me, I, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was a Benjamite, the strong tribe of Benjamin. Me, I was, I was circumcised on the eighth day. If you, want the, the, if you look up the definition of Jew in the dictionary, you see Paul's face. Because that's me. Learned of the learned. I know the law inside and out. I'm the man. But Paul had to be kept humble because had it not been for just himself, that experience, that knowledge, that exposure would have gotten to his head. Paul could say, hey, I was in heaven yesterday. Where were you? (laughs) So guess what? God had to give him the needle to pop the balloon. Has it dawned on you that maybe the things we want to see, the glorious things God wants to show us, the power, the anointing, the miracles, the manifestations, all these things don't happen because we're not ready for the results because we will then take the credit ourselves. We have men and women of God there and walking because I prayed for them. Nonsense. Nonsense. Jesus even had a scenario. He had to check his disciples. If you read Luke 10, verses 17 going, Jesus at the beginning of, of Luke 10 sends 70 people out. Tells them, go door to door. Go and witness to them. If they receive you, tell them peace be unto this house. If not, move on. Pray with them. Encourage them. Your typical door-to-door evangelism, if you will. But then they come back in verse 17 and says, Rabboni, master, guess what? We, 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 we cast out demons in your name, and, and they bow to us. Wow. Yo, dog, man, I prayed, and then I laid hands, and that lady fell down. Boom. Man, that's me. Jesus said, Do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rather that your names are written in heaven. See, we are a people 
that our flesh leads to pride. We don't want it to. We may not intend it. But the moment, let's, let's, let's take, a, take an example. To the husbands, maybe you do something nice for your wife, right? And you did it out of love. You took her out somewhere nice. And then maybe you're standing somewhere, your wife and her girlfriends are talking. She's like, girl, let me tell you. <laughs> he took me out, wined and dined me, and treated me like a lady. And you, the guy, act like you don't hear a lie. Mm. Yeah, I sure did. That's me. You see, when we're given credit for something, it naturally goes to our head. It's not a crime, it's not wrong, but that's human nature. That's how we are. We get caught up as people. And Please don't take me the wrong way. I'm not hating. I'm not, you know. But we have people who, they have titles. They're doctors and, they're, and they have masters and they have this and they have that. And they let it go to their head. Parents, I love you all, but African parents are the worst. <laughs> My child, he has his master's degree and he's a doctor and this and this and that. And we too, we like, yeah, okay. My mom and my dad are proud of me, okay. So then it gets to our head. And beloved, let me tell you something. Just lay it out plain and simple. You may be as accomplished as you want to be. You may have a doctorate, you may have a master's, you may have a bachelor's, associates. You may have accomplished this and you may have accomplished that. But outside of Jesus Christ, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing. We cannot allow the things we do to get to us, but rather shift our focus and say that I was able to do this by the grace of God. It's as simple as that. So Jesus... Or, or, or the Lord gives us a thorn to address a, poten a potential sin or, 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 or arrogant, prideful lifestyle that we may adopt. One of the things you have to understand is the more blessed you are, the more prideful you can become. Because you begin to accumulate and take note of everything you have. You go to Ezekiel chapter 28, we learn about Satan, who was once Lucifer, and it describes all of the embodiment talks about all these jewels that, you know, that, that adorned, adorned him and so on and so forth. Called him the son of mourning. But guess what? All that got to his head. I'm number two. If I'm number two and they're all worshiping number one, look at me. I look good. You know, maybe I can step into Number one, because of how I look, because of the glory that God has bestowed upon me. Maybe God intended for me to be just like him. And it's funny how we, we, we justify things when God gives us more and more. God wanted me to have this, so it's, it's, it's by the anointing of God, so I'll just flaunt it in somebody's face. 
right? The more blessed you are, the more prideful you become. The disease of pride is one that makes everyone sick, except the one that has it. Think about it. Think about it. The disease of pride is one that makes everyone sick, except the one that has it. There was a lady in church who struggled. She struggled and told the pastor, Pastor, I'm struggling because I find it hard to believe that ah, I'm the most beautiful woman in this church. And the pastor said, Sister, not only is that a sin, but that's a mistake. <laughs> Get over yourself. <laughs> so there was this frog, right? This frog wanted to cross a lake. And the frog couldn't hop over the lake. So he got this bright idea, and he called two birds over. He said, okay. We're going to get this stick, and I'm going to put my mouth in the middle of the stick. I'm going to bite on the stick. You two birds go on the ends, and you're going to fly and get me over the lake. Brilliant idea by the frog. So they did it. He put his mouth on the stick, and then they started flying. And everything was going well. Till a couple other frogs and said, that's really cool. That is ingenious. Who came up with the idea? And the frog getting big headed said, <laughs> Pride goes before and fall. How do we combat pride? Humility. Humility is the way to combat pride. God sends these thorns not to hurt us, not to curse us, not to condemn us, but simply to humble us. Because when you realize through your thorn that you're not all that, you step back and you get some perspective. You step back and realize that maybe I need this God after all. Because the, the, the next move I want to make, this thorn is getting in the way. And I realize I can't do it by myself. And so I need God more than I thought I ever did. You need God more than you ever, you have ever thought you did. You're going to work and coming back, you think that it's because you have good driving skills? No, 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 no. He said that in, in Deuteronomy 28, I will bless you when you're going out and then you're coming in. It is the hand of God that carries you to wherever you go. Because to turn on the news and find out somebody got into an accident that died, that could have been you or I. But it's the grace of God that carries us to and from each and every day. Humility. So yesterday, we talked about this 300, all that stuff. And one thing that we didn't talk about 
the characteristic that the 300 people possess was humility. And I don't want to go to the scripture because of time, but I think we all remember that God gave 9,700 people one command, 300 people the same command. He said, go and drink from the water. Now, the people who lap like dogs, that is being on your hands and your feet, not your knees, but your feet like a dog, and lap the water like a dog. Those are the people I will set aside. But the people who get on their hands and knees and drink, those people, send them home. A dog is one of the most lowly animals in all of creation, probably second to a pig. But Jesus said that we don't give what is holy to dogs. So that, that which is holy doesn't go to dogs. And pearls don't go to, to, to swine. So dogs and pigs are coupled together in that same thing. We don't think of dogs in such a, 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 a high standard. If you compare a dog with a lion, would you say the dog is the king of the jungle? No. No. So there's a loneliness about a dog where God said, those people who are lowly like a dog, guess what? They have the level of humility that I can use. All the 10,000 were qualified. Remember, the 22,000 walked away because they were afraid. So there were 10,000 brave men. But as the scripture says, go through the narrow gate because it is there you will find life. I imagine among the 10,000, 9,700 people were looking at them like, why are they drinking like dogs? Foolish people. But the Bible says God chooses the foolish things of, of, of the world to confound the wise. So God looks at them and says, with your humility, I can use you to defeat all these Midianites. I don't need the rest. Because they're the everyday people, the people that are willing to just do the status quo to be comfortable. But you are willing to position yourself like a dog and look like a fool to the glory of God. And that's what set them apart was their humility. Amen? So we go on to find out that this thorn was given by a messenger of Satan. Says that. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above, above measure. Then that brings in the question, does God let the devil mess with us? Absolutely. Go and read Job, and you will understand. Read Matthew chapter 4, and Jesus was sent to the wilderness to be tempted, not to be tested, but to be tempted, the Son of God, the darling of heaven, was sent to the wilderness to be tempted. If Jesus can be sent somewhere to be tested, you and I are not exempt. All right? One thing we have to understand, and we have to get this in our mind, is while Satan is the enemy, while Satan is the deceiver, while Satan opposes everything that is godly, Satan is still God's Satan. He is still under the control and the, and the, and the, 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 the sovereignty of God. 
So that's how God can say, Satan, I give you permission to mess with this person, but this is your limit. And he cannot exceed that because God still oversees Satan. Understand this. This isn't anything I'm bringing in that God loves Satan or anything. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is he created him. Don't forget. He once was the artist formerly known as Lucifer. Right? So at one point in time, he belonged to God. And still even today, is under the authority of God. So I allow you to mess this much with Paul for the sake of humbling him. For the sake of making him understand that he's not all that. His trip to heaven was for informational purposes only. For him to document and share with future generations on what it looks like. But not to get to his head. To keep him grounded. If you will. Jesus was tempted once again. And at the end of the day, you know, and that's why I always say, word, people at this debate, what's more important? Prayer or the word? The prayer words will say, hey, it's prayer. We have to be on fire for the Lord. The Bible scholars will say, it's the word. But you know what? If you don't pray, and you don't know the word, you can't go anywhere. It's both. It's like the chicken and egg thing. Right? What came first? Who cares? Just make me my omelet, you know? <laughs> Jesus goes and prays and prays. He's charged for 40 days. Understand that the prayer didn't save him from the temptation. After, it was even after the prayer that he was tempted. And of all things that I'm tempted with first, food. Turn this stone to bread. I mean, if I'm fasting for 40 days and somebody tells me to turn something into bread, I have to really think about it because <laughs> I'm hungry. So Satan knew what he was doing. But Jesus said, it is written. It is written. It is written. Three times. He charged himself in prayer. And stood on the truth and the word of God. And what does the Bible say at the end Satan did? He left. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's as simple as that. Satan is still getting uh, piggyback rides because we don't resist him. He's riding our backs, basically telling us where we should go. Because we don't resist him. So let's go back to Paul's prayer. Paul says, God, take this thorn away. God, take this thorn away. God, take this thorn away. God says in response, my grace is sufficient for you. I didn't ask for grace. I asked for you to get rid of this thing. That's what Paul said. But he told him, my grace is sufficient for you because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. You see, if we are healthy and we are strong and we are well-to-do and we have all the degrees and all the knowledge in the world, guess what? We would depend on ourselves. I got this. I'm in control. I am the master of my own destiny is what the world would have you believe. YOLO, 
It's one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. But, but that's true. You only live once. You know, but that attitude that do whatever you got to do because YOLO. You know? You only live once. You see, that grace, that word, that's why I said it's a sacred word. Because it's, it was experienced in salvation. But after salvation, there's a grace that we all need to push us through. To push us through. 2 Corinthians 9.8 is the best verse on grace. 2 Corinthians 9.8, and it says that God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you having all sufficiency in all things may have abundance for every good work. All, all, all. You and I can only do some. Some of us can't do none. That's not grammatically correct, but I think it worked in this example. But God is able to make all grace abound to you in all things. It's sufficient. It's sufficient. That means enough. Your grace is enough. I mean, what more do you need? That's a word we need to be able to get in our heads is sufficiency. We live in a world that we accumulate and we accumulate and we accumulate. I watched this show that disgusts me on the Learning Channel. It's about people who hoard. If you hoard, I'm sorry, but it's disgusting. Right? Just keep and keep and keep and keep. What are you going to do with all that stuff? All we need is what is enough for us. It's why the church in Acts prevailed. Because the Bible says that everybody had sufficiency. And if there were people that lacked, guess what? The rich people gave to the poor. And everybody was on even scale. Not today. We keep for ourselves. We build for ourselves. And if somebody's struggling, tough luck. I'll work for mine. You better work for yours. And that's why we don't see that sufficiency. Because everybody's out to accumulate. Sufficiency. It is enough for you. His sufficiency is enough for you. That grace is enough for me. And everybody's grace that's enough for them is different. So there's this story about this lady. Her name was Miss Locks. First name was Goldie. For some of us, it takes time to settle in. So Goldilocks goes to the house of the three bears. And she goes and sees some porridge laid out and says that the father bear's porridge was too hot. And then she was like, oh, it's too hot for me. And then she went to the mama bear's porridge and said that this porridge is too cold. And then she went to the baby bear's porridge and said, this is just right. So as she got the just right one, she felt a little sleepy and felt wealth in herself. So she went to want to go to sleep. She went to the Papa Bear's bed. This bed is too big. Went to the Mama's Bear's bed. This is too small. Went to the Baby Bear's bed. This is just right. And she slept like a baby. You see, 
We are busy chasing people's anointing. And somebody's anointing may be too hot for us. But yet we find ourselves chasing that anointing. I like the way Pastor Bernard prays. So I'm going to try to be like him and chase him. His sufficiency that is in Pastor Bernard is not the same as yours. So you will go chasing something you will never be able to attain. You might even say, I like this person. And, but when you look at them and God reveals what he has for you, you even see that that sufficiency is too cold. That God has destined greater things for you than somebody else that you are chasing that doesn't have that sufficiency. So that sufficiency that's just right is what we need to seek for ourselves. When Goldilocks found the right sufficiency, she slept like a baby. She had peace. She was at rest. When God's sufficiency is great, is good enough for us. We embrace it. We welcome it. We say that, yes, let it come. We can do things and be at rest. Just like we heard yesterday, that when grace is at work, prevailing grace is at work, everything else falls into place. See, God told us something in Ephesians chapter 2 that he prepared us by his grace for works that he has done in advance. The work is done. All you simply need to do is say, here I am, point me in the right direction, and I go. The work is done. You don't need to make something up for God. You don't. Oh, my, my sanctified imagination has told me that the Lord wants me to create this and to create that. No. It's done. Oh, I call it sanctified imagination because too many people say, oh, the Lord told me. And sometimes we need to call it what it is, sanctified imagination. There should be ministries that are birthed out of grace. God's prevailing grace should catapult you into places that you would have never been able to go on your own. But because of that grace, grace is only associated with work. Read your Bible. When you see the word grace, nine times out of ten you will see the word work. That God gave it to you not so that you could be all that, not so that you could be the talk of the town, but so that you could fulfill his work. Ministry should be birthed out of this grace that we are talking about. And you don't have to be the head pastor of something. You just need to avail yourself and be used by God. Amen. The world is suffering because not enough people have embraced the prevailing grace of God. You want to be here where God wants you to be here. So the world continues to suffer and continues to remain dark because we are not stepping up and doing what God has called us to do. You see, when grace kicks in, now, as opposed to me being the focus, God gets the glory. God has not opened the, the floodgates for so many things because we're not ready to handle it. God isn't going to endow you so that you can now get all the credit. One of the things that I want all of you, you who go to ICCC, you who go to Shepherd's House, get this out of your system. Stop saying, I go to Kwame Boateng's church. 
Stop saying I go to Pastor Bernard's church. It puts them in a very precarious position. Because the world looks at them and says, oh, yeah, these one-man churches. They think they're all that. Stop it. I go to Shepherd's House. I go to ICCC. That's where I go. It's the house of God. The house that God built. Jesus said that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. But the reason why the gates of hell are prevailing is because we're building our churches. Man's church. This prophet and that prophet and that apostle and this and this and that. And we chase people rather than God. And if God isn't being glorified, it's a waste of time. When grace kicks in, it's like we, we, we just, I mean, it, it's God. Like, how, we worship God and we, and we understand that he's the focus. But then when we step out and do work, he no longer becomes the focus. But our work is worship. Everything we do is worship. The Bible says that whatever you do, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, do it to the glory of God. When you have a conversation with somebody, you're doing it to the glory of God. It's funny enough, the, the verse before said, whatever you eat or whatever you drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. When we eat, we do it to the glory of God. When we sleep, we do it to the glory of God. Everything we should do is to the glory of God. That's why this prevailing grace has to be a lifestyle. And it can't be something we come to learn at a conference and then walk away and say, okay, cool. It's something that has to be part of us. Jesus said that we, in Matthew 5, 16, that we let our light shine before men. Why? So that people can give glory to your Father in heaven. Don't let your light shine so people can pat you on the back. Oh, that was a good message. <laughs> I know, yeah, I took, I took a lot of time, you know, and I prepared well. No, to God be the glory. God, I thank you for the life of these ministers. We give them no credit, but we give credit to you. I don't want credit. Give it to him. Give it to him. Jesus also said, just as Moses was lifted up in the, in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You see, our thorns were not meant to work against us, but they were meant to work for us by the grace of God. If you only see the thorn, I only see this sickness, I only see this, this addiction, this hindrance, this problem, then it will, you will never, ever see it as an asset, only as a liability. You will never see the importance of it. The thorns that we deal with, rather than saying, God, why, 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 why? The better question is, God, what is your purpose? What is your purpose? What is the end game? What is the thing that you want to accomplish here? We always used to being in charge. So it's like, whatever we say goes. I don't want this thorn, so God take it away. And because I said it, you have to honor it. Nope. That's not who God is. God is not saying, see, this is the difference between, and I don't want everybody to be like, oh, well, I'm not feeling well in my body. 
So maybe this is my thorn. <laughs> right? I'm not saying that. Here's, here's how the thorn works. If you are sick, and that sickness is driving you to the ground, seek help. Seek prayer. Seek intervention. I'm talking about someone who has an illness that irrespective of that illness, they have even more strength than they had before they were healthy. That's the grace I'm talking about. Is despite the circumstances, I stand, I am strong, and I'm ready to do the work of God. That's the thorn that I'm talking about. So let's not mix up or, differ, or, or separate, or let's not mix up the two, right? So God now speaks to Paul, tells him that my grace is sufficient for you. When did Paul go to God when that thing plagued him the most? Has your thorn plagued you enough to go seek an answer from God? Either yes, no, or wait? Or are you okay with it for now and you just deal with it? It drove him to seek God. And God gave him an answer. So look at Paul's response. This is how you know that he understands this grace. Chapter 7 or chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, verses 9 and 10, the second part of 9. Therefore, most gladly, I repeat, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I am strong. When God has humbled me through whatever means he has chosen, am I sensible enough to step back and realize this is part of God's plan? Do you? Okay. So we have some charismatic Bible verses that sometimes we need to check them at the door. Romans 8, 28, for we know that in all things God is working for good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Do you know thorns are part of his good? Do you know that, that, that the darkness that we face are part of his good? We don't want to face it. We don't want to face it, but at the end of the day, the Bible says that though, though, though sorrow and weeping may endure for the night, guess what? Joy comes in the morning. We never see the sun if we don't see the darkness. And if we don't prevail through the grace of God, we will never see that sun upon our lives and upon the work that God has called us to do. When I'm the weakest, guess what? I'm strongest. Because that is the grace of God to me. Paul doesn't want you to cast the devil out in him. Paul doesn't want you to lay hands and say, bind you in the name of, say, in the name of Jesus. No, no, no. He said this is something. Not only do I embrace it, but it is the mark of God upon me. What mark do you have to show that you've met God? We learned yesterday that Jacob walked away with a limp. Today, 2018, uh, some of you medical people, hey, we have a center in our, in our building. They have hip replacement, and they can fix it. Jacob will tell you to fiakwa, you. You go your way, go to your whatever center. This is how I know I met God. This is my reminder that God blessed me. 
Let's not look at our thorns as a curse, at our thorns as a liability, but our thorns as a reminder that the grace of God keeps me, sustains me, strengthens me, and pushes me forward, irrespective that I may see and encounter prevailing grace. Amen? Amen. So how do we tap into this prevailing grace? I always like to answer the question at the end of, you know, teachings. How do we get there? Um, another confession. So growing up in an African home, I grew up a little bit salty at a lot of things. And um, it's ironic we're praying for the kids to go back to school. But one of the things that was very salty for me was um, when we go back to school, and people would be in their circles. Hey, 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 where'd you go for, for summer break? Oh, yeah, I went to Disney. And where'd you go? Oh, I went to King's Dominion. And then, hey, where'd you go? Uh, I went to my uncle's funeral in the Bronx. <laughs> and Andorine in Philly. So as I grew up, I, I desired to, to do things for my family that my kids can go to school and have a better report, right? One of the things that I'd like to do at some point in time um, that's on my bucket list, if you will, is I'd like to go to Canada and visit Niagara Falls. Now, I've been there before, but I was very young, so I don't remember. There's a lot of water. That's all I remember, right? So there are different experiences when you go to Canada that you can take, take upon or, or take, em, em, embark upon, right? So there's one called the Skyline Tower. I don't know if anybody's been to Canada, but there's one called the Skyline Tower. And this is a very high place where you can see the falls from afar. And, and we who are afraid of heights, we'll be like, oh, look at the falls. You'll be like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's nice. Step closer and look at it. Okay. Okay, it's nice. <laughs> you have a distant view. I'm sure it looks beautiful. I'm sure it looks majestic. But that's all you have is a, is a distant view. That represents the believers who are willing to come close enough just to see some things, but never really experience it. There's a second one called the journey behind. The journey behind. And that is where you can actually be escorted to a platform. And it's like a little observation deck that the falls. So if, if, if this is the falls, right? I'm standing here with a barrier that I can see the falls. And that's closer. That's nicer. I get a little water on me here and there. Get sprinkled a little bit but I don't get the full experience. And that is reflective of believers who, they got one foot in and another foot out. That's what my man Daniel would have called double-minded. <laughs> right, right? That's, that's my buddy, I met him yesterday. He's gonna take me to the UK and I'll be saying cheers and <laughs> yeah, old bloke and <laughs> Chops. So 
You got one foot in, one foot out. But you don't have the full experience. So you feel it a little bit. But that's all you do is feel it a little bit. And lastly, there's the maid of the mist. That is a boat that some of the craziest people will go on. The most renegade people. Because it takes you into the falls itself. Oh, yeah. Who said what? Yes. Oh, yeah. And you get drenched and you feel the power of Niagara Falls. And that is what you and I, that is what the 300 are a part of. Get the full feeling. All the water on you, immersed, consumed, experiencing the fullness of the power of God in our lives. But we can only do that if we're willing to get up close. See, Jesus, just like Daniel also said, Daniel preached for me yesterday, by the way. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. It's a conditional statement. It takes you to first make that step. You see, if my brother Patrick is there, back there, holding a sign, my vision is fairly decent, but chances are I won't be able to see. So I need to take a step closer to him. As I take a step, he takes a step. As I take a step, he takes a step. As I take a step, he takes a step. And eventually we meet where I can see what I need to see. If we don't take that first step, beloved, it's not that God is mean, but he will never take that first step because he sees the nature of your heart that you have no desire to get close to him. To get close to him. Beloved, the more we, we, we know him, the more we understand him, the more we desire him, the more we can see the prevailing grace in our lives. We got to get up close and personal. Can't be standing from afar and admiring and saying, oh, that's, that's cute. That's nice. But step right into the holiest of holies and meet God face to face. One final scripture, and then we'll pray. Jesus said something. After he promised the Holy Spirit and promised that he would go and return and all these things. In John chapter 15, he begins talking about him being the vine and us being the branches. And he said something that I don't want you to walk away from this place without knowing. He says, without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. Beloved, God has given us some autonomy as human beings. There's some things we can do. We live our lives, we raise our kids, we work at our jobs, and that's great. But we need Jesus to go to that next level, to experience that there is more that we heard about yesterday. He wants us to look to him. Peter looked to him. He walked on water. He looked away from him. He sank. It's as simple as that. Understanding that Jesus, without him, as our brother told us, as our pastor told us Friday, he is the, the fullness of God's grace. And without him, we can do nothing. You can go on and leave this place and disregard this message. 
and continue living a mediocre life. But I don't think God meant for us to live a mediocre life, to live in the circumstance. But he meant for us to rise above them, to live above them, to be better than the world, to stand out in the world, to be the salt and light of the earth, that whatever we do, we don't take credit, but we give the glory to him, that he may be known to those who don't know him. We talked about tracks and all that last time. You don't need to hand out a track. All you need to do is live to the glory of God. Your life will be a walking Bible. What you do will speak to the glory of God. So are we ready for prevailing grace? Are we ready for prevailing grace? You've heard what it takes. I pray that you will have that strength, that desire, and that zeal to not look at your thorn as a curse or as a liability, but as the very power of God working in you to fulfill the purpose he has for you. Beloved, this is not a joke. It's time that we as believers take it to the next level. And I believe that what we've experienced here this weekend, that God will be able to take us to that next level. May God bless you. Let's be on our feet. We are kept by the power of God. Kept by the power of God. Day by day. Come with me. Kept by the power of God.